Hello and welcome to the Henry Books podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Muddett, and I'm the founder of Henry Books, which provides ghostwriting, book coaching, and publishing support to nonfiction authors. We're going to hear from some of the amazing authors that Henry Books has worked with, and we're also going to speak to experts who can help you make your nonfiction book a huge success. I'm here with an author that Henry Books is working with. Holly Dean Johns is the author of Holly's Hell, Seven Years in a Thai Prison, and it's coming out in February. Um, Holly, I've been really excited to work with you. Can you tell the audience about your book? Okay. Hi, Jess. So my book is about growing up in Perth, Western Australia, Um, and how my life changed through my adolescence into adulthood. I became addicted to heroin. Therefore, I broke the law many times and ended up in prison because of heroin. Each time I was released, I used heroin again. I didn't really feel the want or need to get out of that cycle. Then... I was imprisoned in Thailand for seven and a half years. Ten months into that, I decided I didn't want to use drugs anymore. So I stopped as I had been using heroin in prison for the first ten months. Um, It made me realise that being addicted to heroin had taken my life. I looked around where I was and realised that I didn't want this to be my life anymore. I had disappointed friends, family, most of all myself. And I realized I don't want to do this anymore. And I would like to get study under my belt. So in the future, I can get out and help people who may be going down the same path as I did. Mm, Amazing. And how is life now? Oh, life's great. There's no comparison whatsoever to my life before. It's totally different. Um, the friends I have are totally different. The things I do are totally different. <laughs> it's a completely different life, different lifestyle. And um, you were saying that some of your friends, because you were released in 2012, so many years ago. I was. And with news of your book coming out, so you've shocked some of your friends, haven't you, that had no idea about your past? I have. Um, at the moment, <clears throat> I've been working FIFO for the last three plus years. Most of, well, all of them had no idea about my past life. They do now, though, after seeing that my book will be coming out. Needless to say, I'm sure they were very shocked, but everyone's been great. Can't wait to read it. Everyone's super excited for me. Mm, That's terrific. Yeah. Um, How long did it take you to write your book and what was the most challenging aspect? It took a long time. I started writing it the day after I was imprisoned. I was in the police lockup for one month. In Bangkok? In Bangkok. And I knew straight away that I would write a book about this experience, although it took me a very long time to do it. It's only been finished in the last few months and it's now 23. Mm. So 11 years. Mm. It's been a a long slog. Um, I I couldn't write for a long time. I just couldn't get my head there. Mm. So that's why it's taken as long as it has. Because you had post-traumatic stress disorder, didn't you? Big time. Yeah. Yeah. 
post-traumatic stress, depression. Yeah. Yeah. Did writing the book help in some ways? Was it sort of cathartic? 100% it was. Very, very cathartic. As well as writing the book, I also seeked counselling, which I did for a few months. That also helped me. I definitely recommend it to people Mm. who are having a tough time. It really helped me, Mm. for sure. Um, Did it, though, bring up some of the trauma from your past and did it also help you come to peace with things in any way? The answer to that, to those two questions is yes. You have to acknowledge things and work through them before you can heal from them. So that that's what I did. Mm, okay. And why did you want to write a book? I thought it was important for people to know what can happen to somebody if they are imprisoned in a foreign country, what they have to deal with, the conditions. Here in Australia, j- jails, yeah, your freedom is taken away from you, but in Thailand it's a lot worse. You absolutely get nothing. You don't get anything to survive. You're not even given a toothbrush. Mm. Yeah, can you tell us about what the prison that you were in and kind of some of the difficult moments that you had difficulties with getting basic food and shelter and clothing and stuff like that everything about it was hard every every single thing you if you didn't have money you had to work for people washing their clothes might have been one thing they might give you food to eat to pay you for that or give you some money people really had to do anything to survive. I mean, anything. So, you know, in Australia, you, you, prisoners, are, I think, are, you know, given enough calories a day sort of thing in Thailand, is that not the case? Like, definitely not the case. They do have government food that you can eat if you don't have money. Although the food is full of stones, it's full of maggots, it's full of hair. So you, you would only eat that if you had no other choice, mm-hmm. which a lot of people didn't have a choice. And can you tell me about sleeping arrangements? The sleeping arrangements were out of this world, like nothing I've ever seen before in my life and would not have even believed that people slept like that. Um, I was The first cell I was in with was with about 120 women. It was that crowded. You had to sleep on your side. And if one mm. person turned over in that line, everyone had to turn over. You were stuck together. Mm. It was so humid all the time. Your skin would literally feel stuck. Mm. Yeah, it was horrible. And I, I, reading your book, there's a, a scene you mentioned where, well, not a scene, it was happening to you, the girl with the hair in your face yeah. all night long because you were that close, right? Can you tell us about that? Yeah, that was my first night. Um, yeah, sleeping next to this girl who had a ponytail and it was in my face because <laughs> you're that close together. And I kept trying to let her know, get her out of my face, but she didn't speak Aussie. Mm. I didn't speak Thai. So, yeah, the, the language barrier was the worst. Was it? Yeah. Not being able to understand anybody mm. or be able to get my point across to people, that was really hard. That was probably one of the hardest things. And you learnt Thai, didn't you? I did. For about the first year, I had no interest at all in speaking Thai, but I quickly got, um, 
I quickly got annoyed with having to ask people all the time to translate for me. Mm. I didn't like that. Mm. I knew I'd be there for a long, long time, so I thought, well, I have to learn mm. so I can communicate myself. And you were the only Australian in the prison, weren't you? Is that correct? Were there other foreigners? There were two sections of the jail. The one section where you are on remand, I was the only Australian. There were a few other foreigners. Then in the other section, when you're sentenced, there were a lot of foreigners there. Other Australians as well? Two. Okay. Um, Did you become friendly with them? I did. Um, We all became friends, uh, especially because we would get a visit from the Australian Embassy once a month, Mm. so we would all get called out at the same time. Mm. Okay. Um, And what was the moment like because you got a 31-year sentence? How how did that feel? As ridiculous as it sounds, I was really happy to get the 31 years because if you're given either a life sentence or a death sentence, well, it doesn't matter about the death because you're going to die anyway, but if you're giving, given a death uh a life like, sentence, you have to serve a minimum of eight years before you can apply to transfer home on a transfer treaty. So getting a number, mm. you only had to wait four years before you could apply to go home. And you'd already been doing three. You'd been in prison for three years the day you got your sentence to three. Three years, yeah. Yeah. But were there darker moments after that? Because your sister was really upset when she heard, wasn't she? She was beside herself. She was, but she didn't understand. She didn't understand, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, she, she was really upset. But I told her this is a good thing because I can apply to come home in four years. Mm. So it wasn't as bad as what? As, as 31 heard. years sounds. But were there moments sort of, I'm sure there were many in prison where it felt overwhelming that it would be a long time until you were free again? And if so, how did you get through those moments? Oh, 100%. Every day was like that, every yeah. single day. Because every minute of every day you're in survival mode, 24-7. It doesn't stop. Um, yeah. And did you just simply just put one foot in front of the other? I think what helped me was positive thinking, like just going into my mind all the time, like you're going to get through it, you're going to get through it, keep going, mm. this isn't forever, mm. just positively thinking. Mm, gosh. that That's it. Um, what difficulties did you face in getting your book published? You know, surely... <laughs> you've had such a difficult time you've then written a book which is a monumental challenge and then you go to get it published tell me about that i got knocked back by two publishers which was a very surprising thing for me because i thought for sure somebody would want to publish this book so yeah i was dumbfounded i through a friend met jess she was stoked that she was able to help me with this as I'm stoked to be working with her. It's just come at a great time and I know I'm with the right person. Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited yeah. for this. And they, the publishers, their reason was really that you got out in 2012 and they said it wasn't recent enough. Yeah, Does that's that, right. They thought too much yeah. time had gone by, which, again, I was surprised about because why does it matter that so much time yeah. has gone by? This is a real story. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't with real issues. Yeah, that are relevant today and have not been solved. No, a, no. And interestingly, um, I had actually been to the prison where you were when I was working at the Myanmar Times. I came across for a visa run to Bangkok, and I did a story. I went to the men's prison Bangkwang, and I went to the female prison. But you had been released by then, mm-hmm. only I think a matter of months, and it was our mutual connection. Yvonne, yeah. who was working at the Australian Embassy. Mm-hmm. I maintain, maintained contact with her for a decade. You maintained contact with her for a decade. I put up a, hey, I'm starting a new business post on Facebook, and she connected us. So we have to say a big thank you to yeah. her. Oh, 100%. Thank you, Yvonne. <laughs> and tell me about how she she was a real light in your life, wasn't she? Yvonne at that time was a, she worked for the Australian Embassy, and her role was prison visitor so once a month she would come out to the women's prison and the men's prison um, to bring us our loan that we got from the Australian government every three months I just have to say that this loan had to be paid back in full before I could get issued a new passport Mm. if I didn't pay the loan back I would not get a passport okay so it's not free Um, the assistance helps a lot but it doesn't cover everything. But getting back to Yvonne, she was amazing. She would go above and beyond for all of us. What kinds of things could she bring you? Oh, look, in the early days, you could bring pretty much anything, books, magazines, food, drink, whatever. You could get packages sent in with Mm. toiletries, underwear, bras, tampons, couldn't even get tampons in the prison for years mm, if mm. we didn't have those we had to buy sanitary pads yeah a lot of people don't use them um it was really strange because some thai people saw my tampons one day in my bag and they said what's that i said what <laughs> they were like that pointing to the tampon and i explained to them what it was i yeah. said what did you think it was they said some sort of lolly <laughs> I couldn't believe it, but they'd never seen a tampon. You say white mice. Yeah. they white mice. Yeah, exactly. They'd never seen it. Wow. I said to um, a couple of my friends, Thai friends, I said, I'll teach you how to use it because it's better than using a pad. It's cleaner. Yeah, yeah. Because when you're sleeping next to people, people have woken up with blood from the person they're sleeping next to. <sighs> but they weren't interested in learning. It was very much a scary thing for them. Mm. Yeah, it's different because it's they've never they've the, never encountered it before. Yeah, never. Wow. So just basic stuff like that that you count on, mm. like a tampon. Mm. It was like gold mm. in there. Wow. If your non-fiction manuscript has been knocked back by publishers or literary agents, don't despair. Get in touch with Henry Books for book coaching, editing, and self-publishing support. Henry Books also provides ghostwriting services for non-fiction books. Visit jessicamuddit.com.au for more information. Um, were there any happy times, like did you celebrate birthdays or anything? We did, we did. It wasn't all doom and gloom. I mean, there, there were times that we celebrated people's birthday. They had a bakery in there which did really good cakes and pastries and oh. stuff like that. So we could buy stuff like that. And we would, we'd celebrate birthdays and stuff like that because we might be locked up, but 
they're still a milestone for people yeah and it's an excuse to have cake yeah to get sure. together eat yeah sure mm. um now what is your goal um for publishing the book my goal for publishing the book is and always has been to get a get the truth out there to people about what it's really like to be addicted to heroin to be in a house where there's domestic violence to have family members with mental health to help people that are struggling with drug addiction i've been there i've walked it i know what i'm talking about i know the struggles i went through i know the struggles many of my friends have gone through family members my mother OD'd from heroin, mm -hmm. my sister OD'd, my brother OD'd. It's been a lot. And this is all from drugs. Yeah. So, yeah, th that's the point. I want to help people. And so you had gone to rehab a couple of times and you'd wanted to stop, but you hadn't been able to because you were saying the withdrawals were really terrible. What was the difference the final time that you did succeed in stopping? I think the final time was... I looked around where I was, which was in a Thai jail. I had a light bulb moment, which was the most clarity I've ever had in my life. And it just made me think, wow, look, look what you've done. You've, you've stuffed your life up. Look at where you're going to be for however long. Mm. I knew it was going to be a long time. Mm. I wouldn't see my family. I wouldn't see my nephews, my nieces. I, all of that was gone. Mm. Um, that was when I realised I don't want this, I can't, I can't do this anymore. L and it was that mindset? It, it was that mindset. And so when someone came up to you in prison the next day and said, do you want some or something, you just said, I'm done? I never went looking for it. Wow. It didn't come to me. It was just, it's, it's done. Did, was it tough in the beginning or were you just so resolute? I was, no, I was resolute. Amazing. There was nothing tough about it. Wow. It was time. Fantastic. It had never been time before. Yeah. I've never had that strong urge to mm. want to stop. Mm -hmm. What do you think is something that um, people would commonly misunderstand about what it's like to be in prison overseas? Everything. Which, yeah, just there's just no that, window into what that existence is not like. Not at all. I had been told what conditions were like in a Thai jail before by Bob, actually, because he'd been in Thai prison many years before that. Yeah. So who was, and we need to explain who Bob is. Bob was the man that I was charged with, jointly charged with. Um, so he told me many stories and I was like, oh, piss off, Bob. It can't be that bad. But it was. It was worse than what he told me. You, yeah, you, there's, you can't comprehend what it's like. Even to tell people, they don't get it. You have to experience what I'm telling you before you really get it it was horrible well you've done an amazing job in your book so people are going to understand what it's like and there's few accounts by female prisoners as well so that adds just another dimension yeah um there was a huge amount of media attention at your court appearances and stuff and there was always a scrum of journalists and many headlines were generated back in australia can you tell me how you were treated by the media mostly fair there were certain stories i read after the fact 
that weren't fair. But with media, I expect that anyway. It's about selling papers. <laughs> it's about getting a big res response. It still has to be true. That's fair. Yeah. Right? I mean, m most of it was accurate. Yeah. Most of it was. Okay. Yeah. Um, did you have any good friendships that you can tell us about? Oh, for in sure. Prison? Oh, for sure. Your friend Ong? Yeah. Um, the two people I was closest to was Ong, who is dead now. She died of AIDS in, in jail. Um, another one, G, she was my best friend in there for a long time. I, we call it live together, but G, myself and another girl, P9, we all lived together. So we ate together. We did everything together. It's really weird because people say, well, didn't the foreigners stick together? We didn't. That's interesting. It, yeah. yeah. And people are like, what? Mm. We didn't. Every single one of us had, we call family, had our own family that we ate with and did everything with. We didn't all hang around together and be like, oh, it's all cool. It wasn't like that. Mm. We but all had our Thai, our Thai friends. Were there some sort of scary inmates in there that you needed to steer clear of? Oh, look, there was a lot of people in there that had mental health issues, a lot. Mm. Um, probably because they were on Yaba for a long time. Mm. Yeah, a, a lot, a lot. And there was the, that was quite a scary um, encounter with uh, the woman who thought she was the Hindu god, the elephant. Oh, my God, yeah, that was scary. And she was doing that. What was she doing for hours? She was looking at a poster on her wall of the Hindu symbol. Mm. And the only way I can describe it is she was acting like an elephant. I know that sounds weird, but she was doing this weird thing with her arms mm. that looked like a trunk of an elephant. That was scary. Did anyone come and intervene or she was just allowed to continue like that? Who's going to come? The guards? They don't care. They don't care? No. Okay. They, no. Um, there was a possibility that you could have got the death sentence. You were confident that you would not get the death sentence, but yeah. was there any fear around that? I know this sounds really weird, but I was never scared of that because I never believed I would get it. Okay. I never believed that. I've been caught with such a small amount. Yeah, okay, okay. Were there inmates on death row in, in the prison? Not when I was there. Okay. So is that because you were kept separately or because there were no females? Just no females at that time. Yeah, that's good. Mm. That's good. But, you know, I, I was told many stories by people who had been in there at the time that people were executed and they'd just be called to the office just like a normal thing. They'd get taken straight from there. With no due process? With they no full know. warning? They wouldn't know. No, just get called up like it was just a normal day and they'd never come back. Goodness. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Uh, um, okay. Gee, that's... that's so no seeing your family or anything before you, you, you're killed. <sighs> Gee, yeah. that's really shocking. It is shocking. You, um, after seven years in a Thai prison, you were transferred back to Bandiup Prison in WA. Yeah. And how, how did that adjustment go? The adjustment took some time to get used to. Uh, the beds there were really high, so I got dizzy. Uh, being able to sleep with a normal pillow was really weird. Really? Yeah. Um, being able to walk around with no shoes on 
I mean, with shoes on and without shoes on because certain places you were not allowed to wear shoes. In Thailand, in sure. Thailand. And I should add also that your pillow in Thailand was an empty water bottle. Yes, <laughs> yes, at court when I'd go to court yeah. to get my head off the ground. Yeah. Earlier because you hadn't been in Australia no. for seven years. I was actually kept in a unit which they call the crisis care unit and I asked them why I have to stay in there. Oh, they're worried about my mental health and think I might hurt myself. And I said, why would I hurt myself? I'm in the best place I can be. Yeah. Like this is, you know, but no, no, we have to keep you here. So, yeah, everything was culture shock, just being able to pick up the phone, make a phone call. I hadn't done that in seven and a half years. Yeah. I could pick up the phone. Yeah. I could eat what I want. I can watch TV. I can read a newspaper, a magazine. Yeah. Everything. And what about when you got out of prison? Was that, again, another huge adjustment? And, and after, was it 12 years total? Yeah, 12 and a half. Yeah. What was that first day like? Amazing. What would you do? I went straight away and reported to my parole officer. I just wanted to get that out of the way. Um, I went home. Stephen rang me from prison. I got handed the mobile phone, which I'd never seen before. All this was new to me, technology. Wow. I didn't even know how to hang the phone up. Wow. Yeah, it was really weird. Um, My girlfriend came, picked me up, opened up a bank account, went and got me a phone, got clothes, shoes, bags. Like We did everything. It was the best day out ever. It, It was like I hadn't been away, to be honest. It wasn't weird at all, which sounds really weird, mm. but it wasn't. It mm. was just like I'd been away for a short time and I'm back. The Probably the most weird thing was there were so many new suburbs. Oh, yeah. Heaps. Okay. Yeah. Like so many. How but, strange. It, yeah. Places that didn't exist Mm-mm. before now existed. Didn't exist. Did you ever think, you know, because you were, it was such a small quantity, 15 grams of heroin, but it ended up being sort of a year of your life for every gram, almost 12 and a half years, 15 grams. Yeah. Did you spend a lot of time thinking that was a a big price to pay? Oh, 100%. And how did you kind of move through those feelings or what what did you come away with at the end of that, that those 15 grams cost so much of your life? Oh, it cost me everything. Mm. Everything. Cost me, well... The first time I went to prison was when I was 20 years old. Mm. I've been in jail half my life. Yeah. Because of heroin. Yeah. Yeah. It's cost me everything. What would your message be to someone who is at risk of going down the same path today and they've got some choices to make? Oh, look, that that's really hard because somebody that's addicted has to want to stop. 110%. There can't be 90%. There can't be 95%. It has to be your all in. You really do not want this anymore. And most people aren't at that stage. And I, I can't even say when you will be at that stage. You're just going to wake up one day and be like, you know what? Today's the day. Do you have to hit rock bottom to get to that stage? For sure. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Okay. You have to be at your worst. What about someone who has had some drug? use and they're not in the depths of it what would your advice be to them today 
don't touch anything ever again. Run. <laughs> Run. Run. No, honestly, look, it could be that you're hanging around the wrong people. That's a big a big one. Mm. You seem to mimic other people's behaviour mm. when you're around people like that. Oh, look, yeah, I, the first thing I would say is look who you're hanging around for a start. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's really good advice. Yeah. Because for you, you, I mean, not many people begin dealing, selling. Um, it's the use, but then the financials start to kick in where, you know, in your case, that is if you can explain to people how sort of using led to dealing. Well, it'll lead to, well, not for everybody, not everyone will deal, but everyone will want heroin. So they'll either be dealing drugs to get the money to obtain more, they'll be robbing houses, stealing cars, robbing shops, whatever. Mm. They'll do whatever to get money to buy that drug. They don't care what they have to do. Mm. It's it, There's no moral compass anymore. Mm. They mm. don't care. All that they're focused on is getting the money to buy the drugs. Yeah. So they're not going to feel it's, sick. It's a, vi- a vicious cycle, it's isn't it? 100%. Yeah. And what was your experience of rehab in the past? Oh, look, this was a long time ago I tried rehab. Um, but, yeah, I it, it didn't work for me and I know it didn't work for me because I wasn't 100 percent invested mm. I wasn't mm. I was lying to myself I knew that's what my dad wanted to hear my mother wanted to hear mm. so I did it I wasn't doing it for me mm. okay okay all right terrific well it's been amazing to talk to you and I'm just so excited for other people to read your story yeah I am too and uh, we'll be seeing a lot more of you terrific thanks Jess hope you enjoyed listening to the Henry Books podcast. If you did, please subscribe and leave a rating. I wish you all the best with your book project. 